Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Belfast Celtic pitch was a seething mass of struggling men. Welcome to Pint of Football, where much like a Conservative Party lockdown Christmas party, we get to make up our own rules because we are quite simply better than you. Racking up a hearty line of business meeting is me, Tom Meadowcroft. And in the cloakroom doing unmentionable things to a dead pig is him, Darren Napton. And Andy Baxter has disappeared to Mexico, which we can't discuss for legal reasons. Mm. Let's just say he's on international duties yes we will say no more on the matter he's a very bad man so before we start you're going to introduce us to our christmas charity do aren't you we are having a big charity christmas party which extravaganza we will be playing a marathon game of football manager uh, as the famous Finnish non-league team FC Santa Claus in an elaborate fictional FM universe that we are creating. We're going to have lots of fun and it's all going to be in aid of a charity called Safe Passage who work to reunite um, children with parents who have gotten separated while seeking uh, asylum in the UK very worthy cause we would love you all to come and hang out with us on twitch on the 30th of december starting hopefully at four o'clock gmt please come along there's a facebook event to remind yourself and yeah we'd love to see you and although we are very much looking forward to our fm fictional universe what we're here today for is to plow back into what could arguably be described as a fiction 
and that's um, our quest to find football's strangest stories. And I've so been far... looking forward all week <laughs> to be regaled with anecdotes from this fascinating book. Well, wait no more because the time is now and we're in for a, a belting duo. Just preparing um, my Stanley knife. Interestingly, you've said that because the <laughs> third the third word in this next story, believe it or not, is knives. Hmm. Okay. Have I, I picked your interest? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what we've got to start us off is we're going over to Belfast and it's September 1912. It is... The battle at half time. Monkey knife fight. We'll see. Here we go. And it's a good opening sentence. You can already picture the scene when I when I tell you this. You, if you want to close your eyes, Tom, and just imagine okay. 19, 1912 Belfast. Mm. Right. Birds are whistling. Everyone's wearing a flat cap. Yeah. Guinness everywhere. Oh, the streets are flowing with Guinness. Good. Now you're in the mood. Let me mm. kick things off. Revolvers and knives, sticks and oh. stones, oh, fists, no. fists oh, no. and feet. No, my happy Belfast place. It's ruined. All were used in the battle at Celtic Park. Oh, geez. Now, okay, point of point of order. This is Celtic Park in Belfast rather than Glasgow? Correct. Huh. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, it's Belfast Celtic. At halftime, Belfast Celtic pitch was a seething mass of struggling men. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds rather sexual, in my opinion. The riot started suddenly but many people suspected that it was predetermined. Oh, no. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. One of them uh, sectarian doodads. Celtic Park was a Roman Catholic preserve. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Linfield, Belfast Celtic's opponents that day, was another Belfast club, but with a Protestant following. Because there's a lot of Belfast clubs, isn't there? Like we've we we when we were mooching around looking for a game, we went to Cliftonville, and that's a heavily uh, Republican Catholic one. Mm. But it's not the biggest town in the world. P- pretty sure it's smaller than Bristol. I just like how can you move around with such like <laughs> seething contempt all the time? I don't know. It's not. It's not good. Yeah, I think back then it was very much a case of hang your relevant flag or decoration on the pub so that you know which ones you're allowed in. But anyway, once on the pitch, the crowd split into two factions, one carrying a Union Jack, the other displaying the Belfast Celtic colours of green and white. Thousands were involved in the riot and the police were swept away in the battle. The din was deafening. It's kind of a, the police were swept away in the in the well, <laughs> in the battle. Yeah. Oh no, we're being swept away in this wee battle. <laughs> oh, for a time it appeared 
that people would be killed, but everyone survived the day. Considering the last story we just did was about rural Wales where a referee got <laughs> killed, a, a riot of a thousand Protestants and Catholics and no deaths. It's quite a result, really, isn't it? Well, that's good. Is there any more detail? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> like, with this book, I kind of expect like that to be the end of the article. No, this one does go into a bit of detail uh-huh. uh, from, from memory. The nearby hospital worked overtime to deal with the 100 people who were injured, treating gunshot wounds, fractured oh, skulls, <laughs> and facial injuries. Hardly anyone was neutral. No groundhoppers there that day in 1912. No gra- <laughs> <laughs> I wonder when groundhopping started. That's a, that's a topic for another series. History oh. of groundhopping. Oh, God, that would be boring. Trust me, I'm not, yeah. Shelve that. <laughs> So yeah, hardly anyone was neutral, but if we had to trust a judgment, we might rely on the match referee more than the others. I wonder what side he was on. Well, Mr. J.H. Holmes told this story to the newspaper. Everything went right to the interval when, before we could realise it, the pandemonium broke out. We were in the dressing room at the time and the officials and players were virtually prisoners. Even when the police reinforcements arrived, we were unable to leave, although no attempt was made to molest the club's officials or myself. Um, Interesting use of the word molest there. I sat naked in the room awaiting. (laughs) I I had shit my pants almost immediately, (laughs) so I had stripped down. Leaving myself quite molestable. Yeah, joking aside, we had a rough time as the <laughs> as the departing rioters made a fierce attack on the dressing room, absolutely destroying it. The gates money was in an inner room, and even this for a time was in jeopardy. The officials pushing a drawer which contained money against the bo- the door as a barricade. So I mean, I don't think they so were. We just after... had a room full of gold. Yeah, I don't really think they were after that, to be fair. I got, I got, 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 got your gate money. Just, I would just toss it in the money room. I'm yeah. fine. The inner room, as Never it was safe. Nah. During the hottest part of the siege, the officials crouched behind the, yeah, the desk, expecting every moment to be struck by stones or overwhelmed by the crowd. We had four policemen laid out in the room. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Having a nap. <laughs> yeah, they weren't the first half. They take the break during <laughs> half time. Siesta. Yeah. The riot raged on for half an hour. There was no hope of restarting the game, which was abandoned at half time, with Linfield leading by a single goal, scored neatly by Smith and McEwen's centre half after our half an hour's play. It was the only neat thing that happened at Belfast Celtic <laughs> Park that afternoon. Way <laughs> Cool. So, yeah. It's quite a good one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the I think what, what, what we're going for is what story was peak. And um, I don't know that 
that's just kind of a series of horrible events, really. Um, aside from uh, what happened at Kenilworth Road between Millwall and Luton, mm. I mean, to be fair, there were no there were no gunshot wounds during that. So, if not peak, that's probably the most like violent football story I've ever heard. Maybe when we get to the end, we'll do subcategories. Once we found yeah. football's strangest stories, we'll then do football's most violent story. I mean, the referee getting killed in the last one was obviously... Oh, yeah, no, sorry. That's more violent. Yeah. <laughs> Fractured skull and gunshot to the knee is, albeit only just, worse than actual I used death. to be a referee like you. Then I took a gunshot to the knee. Yeah, that's it. And that's how it starts. Let's move on to the next one. We're back up in the northwest where he likes to uh, frequent quite a lot of his stories. And that's just where all the football was at that time. Yeah, it definitely would have been. It's another one. I'm sure we've had one in Burnley before. And it's February 1913. And I'm sure, Tom, you'll be able to guess what happens in this one by the title. The team awarded four penalties. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty to the point. <laughs> it is hard to imagine that the FA Cup competition passed through the first 20 years of its existence without the concept of the penalty kick. Hmm. It's quite a good fact, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, I don't know when the penalty was invented. Because, like, uh, we were talking very early on about when there was no offside and when there was no subs. And like uh, I believe I alluded to very briefly when football couldn't decide whether it wanted to be rugby or association football, like different clubs across the land had different rules about handling it and whatnot. Yeah, I guess moments like this. The penalty would have been fairly late. See, this is the good thing about it, I guess. We are actually finding out history as well as just... I'm learning. Yeah, that's it. In a quarter-final game at Trent Bridge in 1891, Notts Count- County's Hendry fisted out... <laughs> Wait, what's that saying? Sorry, fisted what did he do, Dad? What did he do? <laughs> fisted out a shot. Oh. That was obviously going through the goal. Ah. So this is the point. Opponents Stoke lost 1-0 because the laws had no punishment for such an offence. I don't really know what what did he, does that mean he punched it out? Yeah. Okay. Right. Fine. So no handballs. Yeah. Basically, there was right. no there was no foul for it. And that's never been an issue before now. Apparently. Apparently not. Right. So penalty kicks apparently had recently been introduced in Ireland. So. Apparently, Ireland invented penalties. It's very tempting to just disregard all football before a certain time, isn't it? Yeah. What's to stop someone just picking it up and running around with it? Yeah, like, because Preston have got that Invincibles thing to their name, but that was like, God knows what football was actually like back then. Yeah, it was probably, yeah, probably played with Croft. Half of the rules of rugby, half of the rules of dodgeball, <laughs> and you deck someone and then take a, take a shot. Yeah, it's fine. The goalkeeper used to take goal kicks with a golf club. 
it was a very confusing time. Mm. Amateurs objected to the introduction of the penalty. <laughs> Can you guess why? <laughs> because they were all garbage. <laughs> yeah. Still don't really get all that many penalties at like sort of Western League, Hellenic League level, I'd say. Kind of mm. rare. Because shit just doesn't get called. Yeah, I don't think it's because of um, excellent attention to following the rules. <laughs> no. Oh, no. No, no, no. If you had Premier Thanks. League refs doing the non-league scene, you'd probably have like 10 pens a game. A manager who shall remain nameless joked to me that um, in order to get a handball in the Western League, you have to handle it with both hands at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, amateurs objected, and their argument was that the presence of a penalty kick law implied a slur upon their moral behaviour on the field and might even encourage unsportsmanlike behaviour. Yeah, I mean, I guess they had a point. It sounds like they're about to have a duel over their honour. Yeah. Sir, you've placed a slur upon my ethics. I demand satisfaction. Maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's how they used to settle. I know they didn't settle draws that way. It would have been yeah. a better when, way when, to do when it. When did dueling stop? For many years, amateur players refused to recognise the penalty kick law, even after it was introduced. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I don't know how if the referee's given it. Oh, apparently Corinthians, who, of course. Um, are still fairly famous in the non-league scene nowadays. They were famous... In casuals. Yeah, they were famous back in the day. If they conceded a penalty, the goalkeeper would just stand by the goalpost until it had been taken. <laughs> so offering the opposition the moral decision of whether to slot it into an empty net or pop it wide. Hmm. What would you do? So is this kind of like if you if you excuse the if you excuse the phrase, it's like playing cunt chicken. Like you know, I, I I'm not going to defend this because I think this rule is bullshit. So are you going to take advantage of this or are you going to like stand in solidarity with me? I'm not. I'm still not totally understanding why they're against handballs in the box, but I suppose I'm looking at it through modern eyes. Yeah. So this, the question stands, if you were faced with this goalkeeper stood by his post, would you rifle it home? Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm rifling it home. <laughs> Unless you accidentally missed. Yeah, and then I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, solidarity, lads. Fuck, fuck penalties. Yeah. Or, this is Lon London bullshit. Or just try your hardest to whack it against him on the post straight into the balls and yeah. into the goal and goal double whammy yeah, that, that, that would be the uh, that would be the best one yeah but I wouldn't do it if it was William Fawkes because he'd probably like rip me in half or the penalty taking elephant because you yeah. don't want to you don't want to face those consequences no I mean the, I, I, the penalty taking elephant hang on right sorry you, you've just raised an excellent point if there were no penalties until, re until this time 
how is there a penalty taking elephant contest? This adds more weight to my theory that the elephant penalty taking thing is a load of complete horse shit. Perhaps. We're, we're overanalyzing by this point. <laughs> when the penalty kick was first introduced, goalkeepers were permitted to stand six yards from their goal, which I reckon is probably why the six-yard line was invented. So, again, yes. another interesting factoid there for you, Thomas. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, I say factoid, I just made it up based on the fact it was the same amount, but I guess my making of things up is... Now probably... who's overanalyzing? Yeah, exactly. Some were especially quick off the mark and looked likely to reach the ball before the penalty taker. <laughs> that would be hilarious, especially these days when you get players that stand about 40 yards out for a penalty. The ref blows his whistle, the goalkeeper just walks and picks it up and goes, cheers, lads. I'd love to see like a hybrid. I really enjoy seeing more of that. Yeah. Yeah. There should be a hybrid of the rules. Maybe we should make our own rules, which is a combination of the old, old rules and the very new rules. And again, like this does get talked about a fair amount, but if you've never watched like um, how they took penalties in the American soccer oh, yeah. leagues, you, do yourself a favor, treat yourself and look look that up. It's just, it's it's bananas. It's so good. Uh, I would personally go back to that method. It's just like, starts on the halfway line, doesn't it? Yeah, it's great. And then like, yeah. Uh. In the early 1900s, players began to counter penalties by lifting the ball over the head of the advancing goalkeeper as the goalkeeper was stood off his line, the player would just chip him. Quite okay. a good technique, quite a good technique, yeah. really. But then since 1905, a new law has restricted goalkeepers from moving away from the goal line. There were two further amendments to this rule, one of which I'm sure you'll like. And I hope this is the wording in the book of the rule. One of these rules was to stop goalkeepers moving their feet after a trend of off-putting ape-like gestures from keepers were introduced. I really, so, really... <laughs> explain how Bruce Grobelar was allowed to do whatever the hell he did, which was guess, apparently like so mesmerising that it caused people to miss. I guess they um, possibly got rid of that rule, because that was introduced yeah. in the 1920s. It's they a were bit like, vague. It's a bit yeah. vague to say no ape-like foot movements <laughs> when defending a penalty. Yeah, what was the other rule that it's on about? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was the other rule back in the day. And this is where the 10-yard arc outside the box, you know, the little um, D outside of the box. I just call it the D. This is where that comes from. It is because players weren't allowed outside of that area when doing a run-up for penalties. I see. So, possibly... Is that still the case, or is that just kind of a hangover? I guess it just makes the pitch look nicer these days. Well, it just it's the aesthetics, isn't it? If you took it off, people would be like, what the hell, where's the useless old 1920s D gone? Bring back the D. Well, no, surely we're trying to... 
we're trying to the we're trying to take away the D. <laughs> there were the circumstances before when Scott of Grimsby Town faced up to four Burnley penalty kicks on the 13th of February 1909. Ah, so now we're getting to the four Finally penalties. Finally we got to the fucking story, yeah. Thanks, Wardy. The game was played on a very heavy ground and Grimsby suffered two early setbacks. First, Abbott put Burnley ahead. Next, Grimsby lost the injured Lee and had to play the last 70 minutes with 10 men. Yeah, these things happen. At first, at first, Grimsby played the one-back formation, which I, I, I like. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> this was tantamount to setting an offside trap back in the day. So if, if yeah, obviously they could only trust one person to actually decide the offsides. So they just put one guy back and hope for the best. Must have been a very tiring job, though. Must have been. Cheers. The old sweeper (laughs) role. Even so, Scott broke free and was tripped by Henderson, the first penalty. And Scott made a save, a fine save, apparently. After this, making the most of the new rules, Wheelhouse handled and gave away the second penalty. Smith took the kick again. And again, Scott moved quickly to make a good save. Oh, yeah. I like the way this is going. Is he on for a hat trick? The Grimsby goalkeeper also saved the follow-up shot, but in the resultant scramble, somebody handled it again and gave away a third penalty. I I don't think I've ever seen that happen. No. So keeper saved it. It fumbled. Keeper saved it again, and then in the aftermath, someone just knackered up and handballed it for the third time. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's in the rules, but I've never seen it. No, some event. Hmm. Upstepped Abbott this time, and he relieved the Burnley supporters finally by scoring, which <laughs> meant, meant that um, they'd obviously missed two out of the three. Or to put it in a more positive light, the goalkeeper saved two out of the three penalties. But as we know, because of the title of the story, there's going to be a fourth on its way. After half time, Grimsby abandoned their one back formation in favour of a more orthodox defence and four forwards. Why do so many of these stories involve like them having one defender? <laughs> yeah, you can see where tactics weren't quite developed by that point. <laughs> very much the case that defence was just like the, the worst player. Just leave him at the back and hope he can run. <laughs> a fat drunk man. We're about to get arguably the most interesting part of the story here, despite the fact it's already been quite interesting, this one. The hosts were reduced to nine players when Whitehouse left the field to, quote, repair his knickers... And while he was <laughs> while he was absent, another penalty was given, the fourth penalty. Uh, is this a surprisingly frank admission from uh, White House, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Trailblazer. Trailblazer. <laughs> so, what do we think is going to happen with this last oh, penalty? Um. 
I'd like to think that Scott will save it for a trio of pen- penalty saves. So would I. Here we go. You can imagine the run-up. But apparently Abbott made it easy for him. He shot straight at the goalkeeper. Ah, yeah. wanker. So Scott's three penalty saves made for a remarkable goalkeeping hat-trick. Hmm. In the last two months, the goalkeeper had saved seven out of eight penalties he faced. That's some record, is that, to be fair? Did Grimsby still lose 1-0 because of the penalty that went in? They'd already, they were already 1-0 down, so it ended 2-0, sadly. But Oh, that's shit. That really is, isn't it? Down to nine men, you've got players stitching the knickers. <laughs> Conceded four penalties. Yeah, it just its look wasn't on their day, was it? So many, it's, it's not unusual either, I've noticed, for players to just walk off going like, oh yeah, I need to like, you know, comb my moustache or... Sort my knickers. I, sort my knickers or put a, put a handkerchief hat on or... <laughs> or just, uh, just yeah. can't be bothered anymore. I'm just going to go and spew up all that rotten place I ate earlier. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's the story of the four penalties up at Burnley. I, that's quite, I, I quite, I did quite enjoy that one. Mm. Can't be too sarcastic about that one. It was actually a strange Shame story. Lost. Yeah, it was a strange story because of all the pens. But also, I enjoyed learning about the, um, the dynamics of the penalty box and its various other shapes that attach. Yeah. It's quite funny that um, players just boycotted penalties on mass feed for a long time. Mm, especially in the amateur game. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Maybe we can try and organise some kind of boycott of VAR. Uh... Well, what with the I players? No idea. I don't know how that will work logistically. Well, I'm just thinking about it. I think the easiest way to do it would be every time there's a contentious goal and the thing comes up saying VAR check-in, whichever sub is closest to that big screen he goes and checks, just run and drop kick it. <laughs> what, the screen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the ref. <laughs> but yeah. This, just Many have fourth a, officials will die, but they'll be dying for a good cause. Yeah. Or just have one of the subs that's clearly not going to get a game just sat by the plug socket. <laughs> It can be like it can be like the goon in um, ice hockey, the unplugger. Yeah, the unplugger. Well, we'll look forward to that role making appearance in in the in the future book that we're going to write after this, which is going to be the kind of uh, this is the forward thinking tactical musings that you have come to expect from Pioneer Football. We're gonna after this book, we're gonna write a book which is football's future strangest stories. And we're going to predict all of the future events of football. I think that's what we need to do. Would you like a joke? I would really like a joke. I say, I say, I say, Daz. What do you say today, Tom? How do you get a country girl's attention? I don't know. A tractor.
Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.